Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here as I am every week with Stephen Moriarty. G'day, Steve. How's things? Good, mate. Good, good. How are you going over there? All right? Yeah, not too bad. Well, I've got a sore throat. You feel like crap. But between <laughs> us, for the good of the Low Rates High Returns podcast, we will soldier on. Well, yes, absolutely. So today, um, a different episode or different subject. Today is the biggest loser or anatomy of a loser. We're going to talk a little bit about losing investments and some of our experiences of making uh, suboptimal decisions. Not a popular subject at the moment. Everybody's <laughs> focused on games, of course. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's Give right. Shit, shit decisions. <laughs> yes. Asset reallocation program. So... Uh, <laughs> Steve, so this is a um, an interesting topic to tackle now because at the moment people are very much focused on quick gains, uh, not just in the stock market. The same holds true in property. The same is very true in cryptocurrencies and basically across the board. I guess we know from previous market cycles, you can do a lot of damage to your account. So today we're going to try and look at some previous experiences of losses and then uh, draw some lessons from those. You know, because we're generally contrarian where, you know, we're selling when others are buying, we're buying when others are selling, we find ourselves at the opposite end of the spectrum emotionally. And what I mean by that is, you know, like nobody wants to talk about being bearish at the moment, you know, because everyone's rolling in money. doesn't matter what you buy, it just goes up, you know. So when we come along and sort of go, oh, you know, you should be prudent with your money or asset allocation, you know, you're sort of like Debbie Downer, so to speak. So, but then the flip side is, you know, when the market's really cheap, like, you know, oil last year or generally the market's cheap, that's when we, again, you know, sort of people are miserable and we're sort of talking it up. So we spend a lot of time being contrarian, but that has come at an education of (laughs) losing a lot of money. which you're about to find out. This is like a Dear Debbie episode, you know, like, oh, my God, look at how much money I've lost, you know. So the the idea, I think, is when we talked about it, it would be nobody wants to talk about losers, right? You know, everyone wants to tell you all their winners, but every experienced investor learns by losing money. If you make money in a stock, you generally think, well, what have I got to learn? Generally, what you're doing is telling yourself how bloody smart you are. It's only when you lose money that you get sort of introspective and sort of go, okay, well, I actually I need to have a look and be honest with myself about why I lost that money. You know, was it me or was it the investment? And, you know, 99% of the time it's um, it's you, not the investment. Yeah, and if you're going to be an investor over the long term, so not, you're not just thinking about the next year or the next two years, 
if you're going to invest through multiple market cycles, it's inevitable you're going to have some losses along the way. That's mm. the nature of yeah. it. And as you said, in life, you tend to learn more from your mistakes than you do from what went well. And it it's like um, when you start gambling, they always say the worst thing you can do is win a load of money the first time because you're almost yeah, yeah. inevitably going to learn the hard way. And um, I think if you listen to what the wise old heads say, well, Buffett's rule number one is don't lose money, which again, just sounds like a throwaway line, but it is an important point because uh, the nature of compounding and the way numbers work, um, a loss, uh, you have to work extra hard to recover a loss. And Charlie Munger, I think, has also said that you can learn from your mistakes, but he would rather learn from the mistakes of others. So you can uh, well generously share some of our uh, less good experiences to, and uh, hopefully we can draw some lessons towards the end of the podcast episode. So, Steve, let's um, let's start with you, uh, so we can uh, enjoy some of your lessons first. <laughs> <So> masochism, right? <laughs> um, let me start at the beginning. This was early on in my investing career. I bought. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the stock is, but I'm going to give you the story. And I, I have to say, it's it's quite a fascinating story. So, let me tell you about it first, and then we'll sort of dissect it. But essentially, I bought this stock. And it was at about 30 cents, maybe a little less, 25 or something like that. So I bought some of it and then it proceeded to go up and then it proceeded to go up and up. And as it went a little bit higher, I bought more and more of it. Then I started buying some other companies in the same field because they were rising as well. And so, but I didn't buy as much, but I had a you know decent whack of money in it. So this thing, two, two and a half years, goes from $0.25 cents to $2.50, okay? Then it starts to, you know, the fall. So it starts to fall down and it eventually settles about, oh, I don't know, how maybe 18 months later at $0.08, cents, right? Now, I've bought this thing at 25 My average price is probably 32 It goes all the way to about $2.50, then over the next 12 months, it falls. Now, it's as if going to $0.08 cents is not bad enough, I started buying more as it fell, right? So I remember buying, definitely bought more at $0.80, cents, right? And I think I bought more at about $1.25. So over this period, it's probably, I think, three and a half years, I've gone from spending, I think it was about 25 or 30 grand at the top, it was about two hundred and fifty or two hundred and sixty thousand, and then by the time I got out, I'd lost about well of the original I think twenty five or so that I'd put in. I was left with about ten. I basically lost all the profit, which was two hundred and fifty, and then I lost more on top of that. Now, just to finish the story off, this is this is even where it gets more painful. When you sell a stock, you go, you know, I'm never looking at that stock again. So you don't look at it, right? I had also bought some in my then wife's account, right? But I had forgotten about that. And I bought it at uh, 38 cents or something. I completely forgot about it. And then I started looking at it, at it again when it came into view. I then bought recently, oh, about 18 months ago, I bought some more at $1.50. So now it's gone up. But here's the rub. This thing 
went from 25 cents to $2.50. It fell all the way back, and I think its low was 8 cents. I had abandoned it basically, I can't remember the price, but it might have been 15 or 18 cents, so I'd lost money. The stock is now $7. So if I'd have held on, now this is 10 years later, if I'd have held on, I reckon I'd have probably, I don't know, a million bucks or, you know, something like that. And I'd probably have more because the other stocks went up as well. So the only saving grace was I bought some later on and that's up about 300%, but that's nowhere near what I lost, so to speak. And my wife, then wife, is now my ex-wife. And I looked at her account about two years ago because when we divorced, we'd both forgotten about her share trading account. And it's up 1,800% in that account. So there's, you know, we can dissect so many, there's so many lessons there. It is absolutely unbelievable. But that's the, that's the story anyway. So when we, um, well, regular listeners will know, we use eight timeless investment principles. And if you stick to those eight principles consistently and over time and through the cycles, you won't go too far wrong. And that applies to the stock market and, in fact, your entire investment strategy. And I'm guessing as we work through these couple of stories we're going to talk about today, <laughs> we'll find that, that no systematic approach was applied and the principles weren't followed. But let's not preempt the, uh, the answers here. <laughs> yeah, um, so, well, in this, uh, in this instance then, Steve, how did you even come across the investment? Why did you decide it was a good investment in the first place? And did you do any research before buying it? Or did you just take a punt and decide just to throw um, some money at it? I got it off a newsletter. That was the first thing. And like all of these newsletters, you know, nobody gives you a newsletter and says, this is a shit stock, don't buy it. Everyone writes a newsletter and says, this is a good stock, you should buy it. So I came across it in a newsletter, bought some. I had no idea, Pete, whether it was a good investment or not. And the reason why was simple. I was really, I was quite young, inexperienced. I had no idea about principles, market cycles, nothing like that. It was just this thing's a really, you know, here's a really great narrative. Oh, shit, well, I should be in on that. And so I put money in it. I didn't put a lot in at the start, maybe 10 grand or something. But, and did I do it? I did do a lot of research, but I did a lot of research, which is, this is where the mistake came. I did a lot of research, Pete, after I put it. I did the, the George Soros method. You buy a stock and then you sort of get serious and research it. And I did that. And of course, I can honestly say to you, Pete, that made it worse because what happened was I just became absolutely convinced that I was on a winner. Yeah, well, that's a classic thing, isn't it? And uh, it sounds such a familiar story to me from when I started investing because I would buy some stock or shares and then I would then I would download the annual report and I'd start following <laughs> all the ASX releases. And, you know, it's only sort of after you've bought the stock that you become uh, sort of a vested interest. And then, of course, you know, you start looking for all of the reasons why you're right and you kind yeah, of disregard yeah. all the reasons why you might be wrong. So it's, yeah. it's kind of doing the whole thing in reverse. Now, this also sounds familiar in terms of the allocation because I, I think um, certainly my experience of uh, losing uh, material or gut-wrenching amounts of money has invariably been where I've just got too much money in one stock. And 
quite often that the case is you start off with an investment and then you become sort of you become emotionally involved in the outcome yeah. and you start almost trying to force the outcome by allocating more and more into the investment which of course is what you shouldn't do it sounds like you followed a similar story there and you had to just had way too much exposure to the fortunes of one company i can honestly tell you it borders on obsession and the reason why particularly when you're young you hope you're going to make money and you're excited and that sort of stuff, when it actually does start making money. And I can tell you, Pete, this thing went up 20,000 bucks in my portfolio. There would be days when I would my portfolio would go up 20,000. And, you know, this is a while ago and that was a, you know, that was a bloody whack of money on a daily basis. And um, I remember thinking, I was in Tokyo at the time, I remember thinking, Jesus, you know, like we're going to sell this stock, we're going to go and live in Bali and, you know, <laughs> we're going to be on the beach drinking umbrella drinks with, you know, waiters waiting at us and fanning us and feeding us grapes. There was zero opportunity for anybody to say to me, well, gee, Steve, maybe you should read, you know, mate, do you think it might be a bubble stock or do you actually think you know what you're doing? <laughs> and, and even if anybody did, I can honestly say I wouldn't have listened anyway because I was just so overwhelmed with confirmation bias and, as I said, with the price going up, it's like how could you say that? You know, look at this thing. It's an absolute gangbuster. So by the time it peaked, it was a very large part of my portfolio. I think I had about one, two, three. I think I had about four or five stocks across the industry and they would have been at least... 40% 40% of my portfolio. It was a lot. Yeah, I think actually a fair rule of thumb might be if you find yourself logging on in the morning, checking stock prices, and then your mood swinging with every uh, uptick and downtick, that's yeah. probably a fair rule of thumb that you're uh, overexposed and you're not really then investing. You're not you're not thinking about long-term outcomes and your, uh, your daily mood can swing based on whether a stock goes up half a cent or down. And uh, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I was reading a book um, some time ago. Uh, it wasn't an investment book. It was actually by a celebrity in the UK, a guy called Chris Evans, who he, he became a TV personality, started his own production company, he eventually bought out uh, Virgin Radio. And uh, he, was, he was the, the hot personality for a number of years. He had his own TV shows and so on. And he was saying how at the peak, his uh, business was valued at a billion pounds. Like, it's just absolutely crazy Jesus. to him yep. uh, just how much of a, yeah, I mean, I guess it was a bubble in a sense, but it was very much dependent on his success because he was the business to a certain degree. Yeah. The part that was really interesting was um, when he be- uh, had a, a publicly a listed company, he said uh, by the end of the uh, the bubble, he was literally sitting there on a daily basis watching uh, the share price go from 20 pence to 18 pence and 16 pence <laughs> and you know, literally just riding you know the, the the market down and watching every yeah. tiny one pence move in the stock when he said only a couple of years before you know the stock price was adding hundreds of Gosh, thousands yeah, yeah, millions yeah. of pounds a day and it's um it's a very familiar story to anyone who's invested or speculated and over-allocated to specific companies or sectors because you will know exactly what that emotion feels like and it's not pretty. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it gets to the point where you're watching it every five minutes. You know, refresh, refresh, oh, it's gone up another three cents. You know, refresh, oh, it's gone up another four cents. You know, it's like you say, it's a real roller coaster. 
there were three parts. There was the hill, which was the exciting bit, you know, when the stock price was going up. There was the part at the top where you'd have a day where it wouldn't do much. And that day would be, oh, geez, you know, I wonder why it didn't move today. It'll be all right. You know, I'm making heaps of money. Again, you go and read people who, you know, people would say to you, yeah, yeah, it's a two bucks. It's worth at least five, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then the, the day where you'd have a big down day, because they're small stocks, they're generally quite volatile, right? So, you know, it would come out with a report of, you know, oh, we didn't do X or something. And so it immediately dropped 10%. And when you've got 150 and it drops 10%, it becomes, you know, a big whack, so to speak. Even when you've made a lot of money, you hate just seeing, well, I don't know about others, but I do, just hate seeing stocks moving downwards. It's a really, really tough thing to do. Um, And so it's that volatility, as you say, can really make your day. Yeah, I think, um, well, going back to Uncle Warren, Buffett would say uh, for many of his investments, it wouldn't faze them if they closed the market for 10 years. And yet when you get over-allocated to specific investments, you can't go 10 minutes without Mm. having a look. Um, So I think if you actually, um, I suppose that's a good indication that you're really just speculating and not investing for the long term. And I think if you look through that story there that you've just um, articulated to us. Did he use any of the eight timeless principles? Well, probably, he probably wouldn't score a tick on any of the eight, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Overallocated, no systematic approach, probably no consideration of the market cycle, um, no. And um, I, keep I think, going. Um, <laughs> keep high, low, sell well, high. I bought, yeah. I bought low, but I didn't sell high. I didn't rebalance. Did I diversify? Well, yeah, but I did it in a really shit way because I just bought more of the same, basically. I think it is worth um, pointing out, though, that the, the the journey of an investor does change over time. It's maybe different for an investment fund that's managing billions of, of dollars or you know, uh, an institution, but for an individual at different stages in life, different things or different situations apply. So uh, if you inherit a lot of money, it may be different. But for people like you and I, Steve, who pretty much started out from scratch, you know, when you're starting out, you don't really have a lot to lose in some senses. And it's therefore understandable that people gravitate towards the idea of having a punt, making first their gains, um, you don't have the responsibilities of um, a marriage or a mortgage or kids. But obviously, yeah. as you go through the journey and you're building that pool of capital and you're building your superannuation, then it's a different story then because you've got more to lose. And, yeah. you know, making a big loss as you, you know, get into your middle age or towards the, the retirement age, I mean, that can seriously impact your life. So I suppose it, it is worth recognising that for the individual, some of these stories are perhaps inevitable, especially if you start investing when you're young. Yeah, absolutely, Pete, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the old, there's old traders and there's bold traders, but there's no old bold traders, you know, because the best thing you can do is lose money. The worst thing you can do is lose money, you know, and what I mean is if you're actually cut out to be an investor, then what you'll do is you'll actually, you know, you'll actually say to yourself, okay, what the hell went on there? And I learned, you know, you learn something more about what you did wrong or something like that. Whereas when you're young, one of the things that I sort of looked at was I never thought about the, the skill versus luck equation, right? I never thought to myself, oh, gee, Steve, you're, you're incredibly lucky. 
I was convinced that I had done the research after I bought the stock and I knew a lot about it, that still doesn't mean that it's going to be a great investment just because I know everything about it. I never thought of rebalancing, right? I never thought to myself, why would I take money off the table? It's going to be worth twice this, right? So I spent the time from when it started rising, I basically just came became obsessed greedily without any fear. So in other words, I never thought I should sell some because I'm fearful. I just always had that sort of greedy thing on, which is sort of what's going on at the moment. I projected into the future, right? I'm going to be rolling in a, you know, I'm going to be a hero, blah, blah, blah. I didn't listen to anybody outside the bubble. And that's why I say that was really damaging because there was nobody older who said, listen, Steve, let me tell you what happened to me. You might want to have a think about it. Now, I mightn't have done anything, but it might have been wise or, you know, I might have thought, well, yeah, okay, really I should, you know, take some off the table. Yeah, I mean, that's basically it, isn't it? You need to spend some time and think, why might I be wrong here? Instead of yeah. looking for all the reasons why you're right and seeking yeah. out people to validate that decision, you should actually be thinking the other way. How could I not lose money? What what might I have done wrong here? And um, I think, as you said, it's a very common story at the moment. Nobody's really too interested in looking at downside when there's quick gains to be made uh, this week yeah. or this month. So uh, shall I share some of my losing stories? Because I think we've grilled you enough yeah. on the, the depressing episode. Um, I'll, go and get my, I'll go and get my dose of Valium. <laughs> I'll actually share two examples from, from uh, my journey just to make you feel a bit better. I think um, the first time I experienced gut-wrenching loss of money, it was actually before my investing days. This is gambling. I was always interested in gambling when I was young. We used to go up to... Um, the dogs at the Greyhound Stadium at Romford, which is uh, anyone who's from England will know what I'm talking about. It's a pretty rough and ready sort of place. And we used to go to uh, the Walthamstow Stadium uh, in London as well, although that's now closed. And so I was always interested in the idea of could you beat the tote and, and gambling. Uh, didn't really have any edge at all in dogs or horse racing. Um, used to spend a lot of school lunch times in the bookies. But the thing is, I never really had much money to gamble then. It was only when I yeah. got a bit older, I got into going to the casino. That was the first first time I really lost a gut-wrenching amount of money. And it's exactly like you said, the worst thing happened. The first time I went, I won a bucket load of money. And <laughs> inevitably, within a week, I was back there giving it all back to them. And I, I, I would say I felt pretty close to physically sick at the end of that episode. So, But that wasn't investing. And I, I, I think I... I sort of at that stage already known about stock markets, but it wasn't really certainly back in those days. It wasn't really the dumb thing for the average yeah. individual. We didn't have superannuation in Britain. We didn't have the internet were, either. No, you no, know. You could, we had a thing called CFAX. You could go on and look at yeah. uh, CFAX, which is on your TV, and you could look at stock prices, which were updated. Yeah, yeah. Maybe every hour or something, but it was, uh, you know, it was nothing like today. Um, and you would need a stockbroker to actually buy stock, so it it wasn't really that accessible to the average person. But I think more relevant to uh, what we're talking about today was, yeah, my losses in the stock market. I think um, so. There's really two two examples that I'll give you. One was uh, when I was working in the resources or mining industry. 
I had um, shares and stock in the company I worked for, but because we were working in the sector, of course, you mix with loads of other people from yeah. all these different junior mining companies, and you end up with investments all over the place. But I use the, the term investments quite loosely. You've probably got a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, five and ten grand bets across uh, companies that you don't really know much about, other than their stock price and diversification, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the uh, it was obviously the uh, the heady go go years in the in the mining boom. So you know, most of the time you're really looking to buy uh, shares in companies in the early days when they might be five or ten cents, yeah. with, with a view to you know selling when they get to two two dollars. But of course, nobody ever does. And um, pretty similar to your story, you get some you know six or seven baggers, and you think you've cracked it, and then of course <laughs> at, at some point the cycle goes into reverse and you give it all back. And, uh, yeah, that was um, probably in dollar terms some of my biggest losses um, running into the the tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, exactly what you said. You, you get to the point where you're logging on every day. You want to send hate mail to the management for not getting the stock price higher, you know, and, and just losing any sense of being a rational investor. And the second um, instance, which I guess – in some ways similar, trying to make quick gains was um, before the financial crisis. Um, if you look back at the statistics, there was this big crescendo in the use of margin loans. And uh, sadly, I was a part of that bubble. <laughs> I couldn't that, oh, gee. I, that, couldn't I, ne- I must admit, I never got into that. So please do tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess the um, the basic principle is that you know it's a rising stock market as it was, um, I guess, up until around 2007. And to get ahead more quickly, you used um, margin. And of course, there were adverts everywhere for the use of margin loans. And uh, don't worry yeah. about the nine percent interest rate. Um, if you can, you know, use more leverage, you can make quicker gains. And it wasn't specific to any one stock. It was actually margin loans that went across the portfolio. And I think um, I don't know if it's the same today because I've literally not used a margin loan for years. But back in those days, the the blue chip stocks you could do something like eighty percent LVR, mm. and then some of the uh, sort of second tier stocks you could do seventy percent, and then the, the speculative stocks you couldn't you couldn't use margin against those. Uh, but one of the things you quickly worked out was that if you if you use margin loans against the blue chippers, you could then use that stock as collateral to get another margin loan. So you almost like, yeah. you know pyramiding the loan amount, which yeah. is obviously a dangerous discovery. I think uh, I didn't have any losses that were specific one stock it was just that when the market started falling of course you you get margin calls which in those days was an sms message on your phone you've got really two choices you either top up your account or sell some stock and once you're getting into those decision making processes it completely clouds the whole investment journey you're not making considered or rational decisions you're basically fighting fires and of course uh, there's a couple of sort of bull traps on the way down and then you get caught out again. Uh, yep. So that was not a By the dip. By the dip. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it wasn't a fun period, uh, well, for, for many people in the stock market, but especially so if you had margin loans. And I think that's it goes back to why you know, Buffett says, um, if you're smart, you don't need leverage. And yeah. if you're not smart, you definitely shouldn't use it. And I think... That would certainly apply to my stock market journey at that time. And and these days, um, well, I don't really use gearing 
in the stock market. I still do uh, to a modest amount in the property market. But I would say, though, um, uh, I guess, you know, when you look at the lessons here, uh, many of the same uh, many of the same issues, not following the principles, not keeping a cool head, not being systematic. You really should be careful using leverage in stocks and focus on the return of your capital more yeah. so than the return of, return on capital. You pay attention to the market cycle, which it wasn't doing. Think about things like earnings yield. And just like you said, greed and getting overexcited. But just as a caveat to that, though, I'm not going to sit here and say that if I had my time again, I wouldn't use any leverage because I have had some very good results using leverage, yeah. but much more so when I was younger. These days, yeah. I'm a very much more defensive investor. Yeah, I think so. I think the reason why it's a good time to talk about losers is because what you and I have just described, you could basically go out, you know, there's stuff about Uber drivers checking their crypto portfolio, you know, every minute of the day. You get your Twitter feed, you know, there was one today that said, now you can trade crypto with no margin or um, with, with no trading costs. And, you know, you just look at it and say, I've been through all of this before. Now I know because I'm 20 odd years down the track. Now I know that there's going to be people making money and there's going to be people who lose a lot of money. I'm happy to sit on the sideline while people are, you know, making a lot of money because the reality is I don't think when, you know, and this was my problem, I never knew when to get out. I never knew if it was going to bounce back or, you know, even when it had sunk back below my initial buy price, I still had faith that it was going to go back up again. It's indescribable in terms of the emotional responses. And it's only when you're 20 years older, you can go, all right, I won't be doing that again. It's interesting because you look at things, you look at them now and go, oh, you know, I should ride that up because I'll know when I get out, even though I know it's, you know, for me, it's something like lithium stocks. Now, I don't know much about them. I haven't investigated them. Cannabis stocks, right, stuff that just goes through the roof. You tend to sort of think, oh, well, I'll jump on that. That's good if you know when you can get out. But the hard part is knowing when to get out because we're all greedy, right? And so, you know, you just want to ride it for the extra the extra inch. Yeah, and uh, when we talked to uh, Jordan Elysio about his um, gold investing he um, has told me many times about when he started out in his professional career and he was in the the, uh, the tech bubble years and they were literally selling and buying stocks that nobody knew anything about. It was just yeah. literally stock prices X today and tomorrow it will have doubled. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been uh, traveling around Europe a bit recently. I was in London uh, this week and the, the London buses and the taxis, they've They've got adverts for coins that you've never heard of, you know, tokens, uh, yep. flocky coin. If you go on the tube, there's adverts everywhere for, you know, how you can log on and, you know, uh, trade cryptocurrencies during your lunch break. And it's uh, it's the same same thing all over again. And just just as, as in the, the tech bubble years, a few people, uh, the insiders will make a lot of money. I would say probably the majority yeah. of people will lose 99% of their money, if not all of it. Yeah, and this is only something you can learn through experience is that when people go for the exits, there's no liquidity. A lot of people yes. will just see their accounts shut down. They won't be able to retrieve their capital. 
and once the liquidity goes, and I've seen this in uh, the speculative mining stocks, there's nobody to sell to, and it's thanks very much. You know, see you later. Yeah. So, uh, everybody, everybody knows, and it's funny, Pete, because everybody sort of says, "No, no, no, that won't happen to me," because you know, I was up a lot of money, and then you know, you'd sort of think, "Oh man, surely you just would have taken a portion off." You don't, and the reason why is because you don't know what you're actually doing. You, like you say, you get on a bus and you go, yeah, I'll be good. Yeah, okay, yeah, look, there's still plenty of crypto signs. I'm fine. And then, you know, you get up one day and it blows up and then, you know, it falls apart. Yeah, and um, I guess we've talked um, predominantly about stocks today, but I can uh, tell you um, in the property market as well, I've heard many of the same stories. It was largely... In Australia, it was a mining town, so the big thing. And, uh, yeah. you know, when people tell you the stories, you think, gee whiz, you know, when you were up, um, you know, hundreds and thousands of a percent, yeah, yeah. why didn't you just take some money off the table? But the problem is you become blinded and you start yes. to think there's enough fat in the system. You know, even if prices fell 20%, I'd be fine. Uh, yeah. But, of course, th- then prices fall more and you don't know what to do and there's nobody to sell to. In the investment world, it's a story as old as the hills. And I think for many young people, it's almost uh, sadly inevitable that you have to learn the hard way because you won't yeah, listen yeah. otherwise. And, uh, yes, I mean, uh, I guess in in our cases, um, the stories have happy endings and that we, we took the lessons and moved on. But you do seriously worry when people are doing things like putting their life savings into well, NFTs and tokens and yep. uh, coins with no value and all of those things because you know that those stories are going to end badly. You don't learn anything from success. And the the uh, if anything, it makes it worse because the more successful you are without losing money, the more sort of invincible you think you are. And, again, I always get back to a bit of the sort of luck versus skill part, you know, like the more skill you have, the less luck you need. And the problem is at the start, you get lucky because you haven't got any skill. But then, you know, the good luck turns into bad luck. And so it's it's just one of those things. I mean, as you say, I I sort of learned the lessons and you know moved on, but it's still it's still tough to take, especially when you've spent an extended period of time thinking you're a bloody genius. Yeah, I think, I mean, we probably could have uh, guessed this before we even started recording, but I guess our stories uh, generally relate to being young men in a hurry, not really that interested in uh, steady returns over 10, 20, 30 years, just trying to get rich as quickly as possible. And I think to a certain degree, that is understandable. That is part of the journey for a lot of people. But um, as you get older and as you're balance increases and your net worth increases, you need to think a bit more carefully about continuing to build that for the future and not giving half of it back because especially as you get into later life, you can seriously uh, regret that. And um, as we know, uh, because we worked with people um, in the lead up to the financial crisis, so if, you, if you lose a big chunk of your wealth just before you retire, for example, that um, can be a very painful experience yeah. so i think that, i mean the lessons obviously you know we'll try and bring you back to the eight timeless principles try and keep a, a cool head when the markets are frothy uh but particularly use a plan and be systematic and i think particularly at the moment be careful with the use of leverage because you can really uh, come unstuck yeah i think so charlie munger said i've got nothing further to add i think you've encapsulated it pretty well there 
Yeah, I think that's that's basically it. So um, that's it for today. So um, to the, this week's episode was a bit of a an interlude, but we're getting back to meeting some more experts as a part of our Meet the Expert series in due course. And uh, with the international border reopening, I might finally be actually on the right time zone fairly soon, Steve, although uh, there's a bit of a mad scramble for London flights at the moment, so it could be a few weeks off. Yeah, I... Um... I think they're also using their <laughs> about 80,000 a ticket or something, aren't they? <laughs> That's the other problem. They're not cheap at the moment. So uh, I might wait for supply and demand to come back into balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining today and we look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.